Let's miss to go downstairs at this time. We are continuing our, our sermon series on the book of Romans. And last week we looked at Romans 7. And um, at the end of Romans 7, Paul cries out in frustration, in discouragement, and desperation. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he's frustrated with himself as he looks at his own life. And he knows how God wants him to live, but he knows he's not able to do it just on his own willpower. And thankfully, he does know the right answer, that it's Jesus that can rescue him, Jesus that can save him, Jesus that can make him right with God, even though his life isn't right. But that still leaves us with the question, um, it's one thing to be forgiven, but is there any hope for change? Is there any hope for growth? Is there any hope for becoming the people that we know we should be? And that is what he gets into in Romans 8. It's all about the spirit of the living God working in us, working through us, working on us. So listen to God's word. I'm going to read from Romans 8, verses 1 to 17. It's printed in your order of worship if you want to follow along there, but I also encourage you if you have a Bible to to read along with me in your Bible. This is God's word. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to 
um, fix our attention on your word, that you would help us to come to your word ready to listen and to receive what you want to say to us. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand what it means to walk according to the Spirit this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I have been around for a pretty long time now. There are some who have been around longer than me, but a lot of you have been around less than me. I've been around for a while. And one of the things that I've learned is that training to become a wizard is really hard. <laughs> training to use magic, a la Harry Potter, is very, very difficult. I've learned that by watching a lot of Harry, Harry Potter movies. I don't know if you've seen the movies, but, you know, the kids go to... Kids, they have these magical abilities, and they go to Hogwarts, the, uh, the school for magic. And, uh, and, and often there are these scenes where the kids are in a classroom, and the teacher is telling them, you know, they've got their wands, and the teacher is telling them, okay, you need to, you need to focus. You need to apply your mind, your attention to this. You really need to focus on what you're doing. And, and they're all trying to either, you know, use their, wave their wands around and make something levitate or maybe turn a bug into a pig or something like that. And, and for the most part, nobody's having any success. There are a couple of standout students, but, but for the most part, nobody's having any success. And it's usually like they're like trying as hard as they're, they're focusing as hard as they can. They're trying as, they, as hard as they can. And, and this thing is just not moving, you know, that they're trying to get to float in the air. Or, or maybe there's these disastrous results where their partner is changed to some kind of half person, half rabbit, half frog or something like that. I know that's three halves, but, but th this, is, you know, this is what happens because they're, the teacher's like, you're not focusing enough. You're not applying your mind. You're not setting your mind on the task at hand. Now, I, okay, you don't have to worry about me too much. I don't really believe in magic. I don't believe that we can become wizards. But I do believe that God has given us something, or I should say someone, that is way more powerful than anything you will see in a Harry Potter movie, and that is his spirit. And we are called, if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus, if you follow him, you are called by him to learn to daily interact with his spirit. And it is through his spirit that we can actually experience the life that we were meant to experience. We can actually experience growth to becoming the people that we know we should be, to becoming better people. It's through the spirit of God. And uh, and in this passage, one of the things that it says, it, it, he, he reminds the, the, the Christians in Rome, you know, one of the things that, that they have been given is the Spirit of God. And then he says in verse 5, for those, who, basically we have a choice. We have a choice to live according to the flesh, according to, in other words, according to our own sinful desires, our own self-centered desires, or we have a choice to live according to the Spirit. And he says, the people who, who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But the people who, who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So that's what we need to learn to do. We need to learn to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. What does it mean to set your mind on something? What does he mean when he says set your minds on the things of the Spirit? Well, to set your mind on something, Tim Keller uh, in his uh, commentary in the book of Romans, I think he puts it uh, this way, to set your mind on something is to, is to focus intently on that thing, to be preoccupied with that thing. 
is to have your attention and your imagination captured by that thing. That's what it means to set your mind on something. And so we're called to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. What, what does he mean by that? The things of the Spirit. Well, the things of the Spirit are the things that the Spirit himself is focused on. The things that the Spirit himself is preoccupied with. That's what we're called to set our minds upon. And, and, and you can see in a number of places in the Bible the things that the Spirit of God is focused on. But right here in this chapter, in, in these 17 verses, I think we, we can see at least three things that the Spirit is focused on. And these are the things that we need to set our minds on. We need to focus intently on as we live our lives. Um, you can kind of tell, by the way, you can tell what your mind is set on throughout your life um, by looking at what, what, what does your mind turn, what, what are the things that your mind turns to when you don't have other things to preoccupy you, to distract you, you know? What are those things that your mind just automatically turns to? That's what, that's what your mind is default, you know, default set on. And we need to learn to, to have our default mind be set on the things of the Spirit. And so what are those things? The first thing that I see here that the Spirit is focused on is the sacrifice of Jesus. If you look at verse 2, Verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And then in verse 3, he tells us how that has happened. He says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. This is what the, the law of the Spirit of life has everything to do with what Jesus has done. It has everything to do with the fact that, that Jesus Christ has come into our world and lived in the midst of a world that is broken by sin, that is weighed down by sin, and through his life and through his death on the cross, God has condemned sin in him. He took our sin upon himself. And so what does that do? Well, that gives us verse 1. As a result of what Christ has done, as a result of Christ's sacrifice for us, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is what the Spirit wants us to, to remember. That is what the Spirit wants to remind us of. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Jesus because of the sacrifice of Jesus. We are no longer condemned. We know that whether it's our, our past, our present, our future sin. Our poor choices, our failures, the things that we have been ashamed of, the things that we fear, none of those things, we are no longer condemned for them because Jesus took the, the judgment for us in our place. And the Spirit wants us to know that and live in light in that because if we can understand that we are not condemned, we don't have to worry about God shaking his head. We don't have to worry about God um, bringing condemnation and judgment against us, we are set free to live. We are set free to live without worrying about our performance. We're set free. Uh, when I was in high school, I used to play on the high school basketball team, and we had a couple coaches, and one of the coaches was really, really nice. And one of the coaches was really, really mean, I would say. He yelled a lot. He had really high standards. And he was constantly berating us for like doing the wrong thing. And occasionally in practice, we would split up into small groups. And we'd you know, go to all, all different baskets in the gym. And, and we would do like a shooting drill. And he would walk around. And whenever he was there watching our group, 
immediately, I, I felt different. I was tight. I was tense. I wasn't able to really like engage with what I was doing because I was constantly worried about what he was thinking, about what he might say, about how he was going to yell, about how he was going to critique us. And then when he walked away, it was a totally different me. And I was actually able to play better because I wasn't worried about failing. And I think in the same way, we don't have to live our lives with thinking that God is constantly looking over our shoulder, looking for how we're going to mess up. Ready to yell. Ready to critique. And that gives us a complete, completely free slate. Every moment is a free slate for us. Every single moment is a free slate for us to live with freedom. With possibility. Not worried about failure. And, and that, that, will, that will impact you if you really understand that. So this is the first thing that, that the Spirit is focused on. It's focused on Jesus and what he has done to set us free from the condemnation of the law, from the condemnation of God's standards for us. He set, sets us free from it. The second thing the Spirit is focused on is sonship. He's focused on sonship. Beginning in verse 14, he writes this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is what the Spirit wants you to know. If you have trusted in Jesus and received his work, his sacrifice for you, then you have the spirit of adoption. You have the spirit of sonship, the spirit that, that you are a son or a daughter of the living God, of the king of all creation. You are his child. And that's what the spirit is preoccupied with. The spirit is preoccupied with, with trying to remind you that you are a child of God. And this should do several things for us if we really understand that, that we are God's children. Um, one, it, it, it gives us a sense of security. It gives us a real sense of security. Um, the spirit is the spirit of adoption here, right? Um, our family has some experience with adoption as we've done foster care for a number of years and then have most recently in the last uh, year and a half or so adopted three boys. And uh, one thing that we have seen is, is kids come into foster care a lot of times, almost really 100% of the time. Um, everybody understands that what they need is stability, and they need security. They need to know that they're in a place where they can count on, a place, a people that they can count on. Um, that's what they need. And when you are adopted into a, a family, you, you, you come to understand that, that I have a forever home. I have people that I can count on. I don't have to worry about all of my needs being met. Um, one of the things that we often see with, with kids in foster care is they, they, they've been living a lot of times just thinking that they need to survive. They need to look out for themselves and fight for themselves. And, and, and a lot of people talk about how, um, you know, we, we have this kind of like, when, when you're in the woods and you run into a bear, you have this fight or flight response, right? 
And generally speaking, a lot, almost all kids in foster care live 100% of the time in that fight or flight response stage. And it, and it keeps them from engaging with life the way that they were meant to. It, it keeps them from engaging with life in healthy ways. And, uh, and, and what they need most is, is to have a place where they are secure. And this is what the Spirit of God wants you to know. You are secure. God has adopted you. You don't have to fight for yourself. You don't have to fight to survive. He knows all of your needs, and he will take care of you. It gives us security. Uh, secondly, a spirit of sonship offers us intimacy with God. It offers us intimacy, right? He, he says, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard this before, but Abba is the Aramaic word for, really, for the familiar term for father, like daddy. Um, and so when God invites us into his family, he doesn't, he's not expecting us to kind of keep up a formal relationship with him. He wants us to draw near to him. To, to, to know him, to cry out to him. He wants, to know, he wants us to know that he wants to, to walk with us intimately, that he wants us to bring our, our, our authentic, honest selves to him. And that is who he cares about. The spirit of, of, of sonship offers us intimacy with him be able to draw near to him, to be able to live close to him and address him as daddy, to cry out to him with whatever is on our heart, no matter what that is, no matter when it is. And three, the spirit of sonship gives us confidence. The spirit of sonship should give us confidence. Verse 17 says, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We are heirs of the one who owns everything, who created everything, who sustains everything, who orchestrates everything. I love the way, again, Tim Keller in his commentary points out, he says, he says uh, um, that we should move about the world knowing that we live in a place where everything belongs to our dad. Everything around us belongs to him. And that should give us confidence in the way that we move, around, move about the world and move about our lives. Absolute confidence. We are children of the one who owns everything. The bottom line is that the more your mind is set on the spirit, you're more, the more you are reminding yourself and you're aware of the fact that you are God's son or daughter and that he loves you deeply. And, and, and you're, you're a child instead of a slave. You're a child instead of an orphan. And if you can understand that, then it begins to change the way that you live. Because for the most part, a lot of us, no matter how long you've been a Christian, you don't just automatically start acting like a child. A lot of us, even though you've been a Christian and you've trusted in Jesus and you say that you're a child, you often live, we often live as if we're orphans. We live as if we're slaves rather than children. And the more that we can tap into the Spirit reminding us we are beloved children, the more it will change us, the more it will change the way that we live. There's a great, really great um, Bible study, uh, Bible curriculum um, that was developed called Sonship, um, developed a lot by, by a guy named Jack Miller, who's uh, no longer with us. He's with Jesus now. And, uh, and, and at one of the points in the, in the study on Sonship, he has this, this long list of, it's two columns here, 
of ways that we often, you know, this helps us understand, this helps us kind of um, evaluate our own lives. Do, do we live more like orphans or do we live more like children of God? Um, and I'll, I'll just give you a couple examples, but uh, if, you want to, if you want this list, I'd be happy to send you the link for it because it's really helpful to look, look at it and say, you know, how am I living more like an orphan or a slave than a child? For, so for example, um, orphans tend to feel alone. They lack a vital daily intimacy with God and they're full of self-concern. Does that describe you? Or do you have a growing assurance that God is really my loving Heavenly Father? Are you anxious over felt needs, over your relationships, over your money, over your health? I'm all alone and nobody cares. Or do you trust the Father and have a growing confidence in his loving care? Are you being freed up from worry? Do you tend to live on a succeed-fail basis? Do you need to look good? Do you need to be right? Are you performance-oriented? Or are you learning to live in a daily conscious partnership with God? Are you not fearful? Um, Do you feel condemned? Do you feel guilty? Do you feel unworthy before God and before other people? Or do you feel loved, forgiven, totally accepted because Jesus is merit really clothes you? Do you labor under a sense of unlimited obligation? Or do you constantly try really hard to please and get burnt out? Or is prayer your first resort? I'm going to ask my daddy first. Is that how you tend to look at life? Um, Do you resist authority? Is your heart hard? Are you not really very teachable? Or do you have the strength to be submissive and have a soft, broken, and contrite heart? Are you teachable? Maybe I'll read one more. Are you, are you defensive? Do you have trouble listening well? Do you bristle at, being the charge, at the charge of being self-righteous? Or are you open to criticism since you consciously stand in Christ's perfection, not your own? There's a, there's, I could go on and on. These are so helpful. Um, I encourage you, reach out to me and I'll send you the link for them and just look through those. It changes the way. The more we understand that we are God's beloved children, that we are secure, that he invites us to an intimate connection with him, to be loved by him, that we are confident because this world belongs to him and we are his, it changes the way that we just approach life, the way that we deal with things that are hard, the way that we interact, the way that we love people. So that's the second thing the Spirit is focused on. It's, it's, it's focused on sonship. Um, lastly, setting your mind on the Spirit is about surrendering to life. Um, I'm afraid I might lose some of you here. I hope I don't. It's about surrendering to life. Paul has made a big point of saying that when you trust in Jesus, then you are set free from the law, right? He says, we are set free from the law, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, in verse 2. We are set free from the law. We don't have to worry about the law judging us, condemning us. We don't have to worry about the law making us feel ashamed and guilty. We don't have to worry about the law hunting us down anymore to kill us. So he says we're set free from the law. However, he does say in verses 3 and 4, that Jesus came in order to do something, in, order to, in verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. 
So we're set free from the law, but somehow the Spirit wants to work in our lives. The Spirit is focused on making the righteous requirements of the law be fulfilled in us. What does that mean? Um, Well, I think that means that, that Jesus came in order that our lives might be transformed so that they reflect the law, even though the law can't condemn us. So that as the Spirit is working in our lives and we're focusing on what the Spirit wants to do, that the, the law, God's commands, the things he wants, the ways he wants us to live, start to seep out of us. They start to ooze out of us. Have any of you guys ever seen the, uh, the, the Play-Doh toy we, we you know, have throughout our lives? I think our kids have this, they've had this um, Play-Doh uh, like haircutting toy where you have the little Play-Doh people and they have holes in their head and then you put the Play-Doh inside of them and then you like, like put a thing inside of it and push it up and then all the Play-Doh like comes out, the holes. And I think that's what the Spirit wants to do with the righteousness of God in our lives, with the law of God in our lives. And the interesting thing is, throughout this whole passage, I don't know if you noticed, but several times he connects the work of the Spirit with life. He connects the work of the Spirit with life, with being full, with having peace, right? Um, to set the mind on the flesh in verse, is that verse uh, 8? No, verse, verse 6. But to set the mind on the, the, the Spirit is life and peace. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Um, where, else does he, where else does he talk about life here? Um, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Right? Um, Verse 13, For if you uh, live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is where righteousness leads us. Yeah, look at verse 10. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And the point is this, that, that this, if we live a life where we're focusing on the spirit, where our mind is set on the spirit, and the spirit is working the law out in us, when we're starting to live the requirements of the law because of the work of the spirit, that is when we will feel most alive. That is when we will feel most alive. And so it, it, it should change the way that we look at the law. He says we're set free from the law. That doesn't mean we forget the law entirely. It means that we can actually learn to love the law as the thing, as the pattern for a life that is most full, for a life where we feel most alive, that, that for a life that, that will give a greatest that'll give us the greatest experience of life than anything else. So so let me like just give me some examples. You know, so setting your mind on the spirit, um, it means that that we begin to look at the law instead of with guilt or shame or obligation. We now can look at the law and surrender to it as a way of life that will make me feel full. I in other words, I will be most full. When instead of murdering people or tearing them down, I am using my words to build them up 
and to encourage them and affirm them. That's when I will feel most alive. When I'm upholding other people's lives. When I'm affirming life. I will feel most alive when instead of stealing, we won't put it that way, but grasping after stuff, after more money, after more things for myself, I'm actually generous and I'm giving it away. I will feel most alive then. I will feel most alive when I orient my life around God and who he is rather than around myself and what I want. That's when I will feel most alive. And that's what the Spirit wants to point me towards, to surrender, to surrender to that kind of life. To put to death, it says, the deeds of the body. To put to, de- to, to, put to death the, the deeds of my, my sinful, selfish self. And instead, to surrender to how God wants me to live for him and for others. That is when you will be most alive. And it's really deceiving because it's hard to believe that. It's hard to believe that. But that's what the Spirit wants us to know. That's what the Spirit wants us to see as absolute truth, as facts. And so Jesus encourages us, Paul encourages us to set our minds on the things of the Spirit, on the sacrifice of Jesus, on the life of Jesus, on the fact that we are children of God, on the fact that that we have an opportunity every day of our lives to surrender, to living for others and living for God because nothing will give us greater joy. So what will you set your mind on? What will you set your mind on today? One thing to remember is this, that Paul urges us to set our mind on the Spirit, which means that we need to focus on the things that that the Spirit of God is focused on, but we also need to realize that it's not just about mentally focusing on things, that the, the Christian life isn't just about getting it all right up here, but it's also recognizing the reality that God has actually given us his spirit. The spirit of the living God, if you have trusted in Jesus, then, then he says over and over again throughout his word, his spirit actually lives in you. He says multiple times here, if the spirit of God dwells in you, right? If you've received the work of Jesus, and then the spirit of God, the spirit of God, the supernatural living creator of all things, his spirit dwells in you. The one who has raised Jesus from the dead, He dwells in you. It's coming to terms with that fact, with that reality, and expecting incredible things. We have someone who is supernatural, dwelling within us, and we need to come to terms with it. We need to come to terms with it. Um, I enjoy a good superhero movie, and uh, most superhero movies, uh, or at least the origin stories, you know, it, comes, it, it, it involves a, a regular person suddenly discovering that they have these incredible powers, and it's because they've been in some kind of radioactive explosion, or they've been exposed, or, or bitten by a radioactive spider, right? Spider-Man, for example, Miles Morales in the most recent version of Spider-Man, and, and it's always enjoyable to see when they first start to discover their powers, you know, and, and uh, in, in the most recent, Miles Morales, uh, when he starts to, his, his hands start sticking to everything, and he can't unstick them. You know, he doesn't know how to, how to unstick them. They're sticking to a girl's hair in school. He's like, he can't get them off. And, and then he's like running from the security guard, and he ends up going out the window and sticking to the side of the building. 
And it's just like, he's, it's, it's blowing his mind and he can't handle it. And, and there's often a time when these superheroes, when they first discover their powers, they, they resist them. They're like, oh no, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want these things. I don't want to deal with it. But eventually, they come to a place where they're like, I need to deal with this. I need to reckon with the fact that this is me now. You know? Um, what, what does it say? What does he say? In, I don't know who says it in, in, uh, in Spider-Man, maybe the original Spider-Man, you know, with, with great power comes great responsibility. Is that the quote? Thanks. Um, but, but they come to terms with it, and they're like, I've got to deal with this, and I've got to start using them. Um, I think there's an aspect of that. When you become a Christian, you need to come to terms with the fact that the spirit of the living God is in you. And you, need to, and you need to start reckoning with this and living in light of it. And part of that is setting your mind on him, his presence and what he's focused on, that we might be transformed. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the gift of your spirit. We, we don't even fathom what this really means for us. But Father, we pray that your, your spirit would work in a way that, uh, that you open our eyes to what this means, to a little bit of what this means. We pray that you would help us to learn, to live, to walk according to the spirit, to set our minds on the things of the spirit, to live in light of the, the reality of your spirit living in us, working in us. And Father, we pray that, that we would see change, that we would see growth, that we would see evidence of your spirit working. We pray this all in, in Jesus' name, amen.